Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Cool. Well, that is for after the experience. I do have a message that I really feel is from God. Let me set myself up. Um, and and we are, we're in this series called Supersize Me, and we've been talking about generosity, and this is week four. Next week's going to be the last week, and, and I'll, I'll have to be honest with you. I'm your pastor. Honesty is one of those things that I struggle with every now and then. <laughs> Not really. Most of the time I don't, but, but um, something that God's been working in me over this week is to actually realize, you, you know, as, as pastors, Beck and I, we, we pray into what we want to talk about. We pray about what's necessary for this church to learn, and, and we pray about where we are going, the direction of the church, and every series, you know, we, we, we feel passionately about getting it right for you guys. Um, but over this week, we were at a conference, a pastor's conference. We had probably uh, five, 600 people coming together from WA together uh, just to learn and to seek after God, to be refreshed. And during during that time, God put something on my heart that I had not even been realizing how important this message of generosity is. And, and, I, I, and I was asking God, why, why is it so important? Why is generosity so important? And He put this idea in my heart that generosity is not just something uh, we should do, but generosity is something that we are. And as a church, I think that's something that I hope that you catch, uh, uh, if it's only over this week and next week, that we are a church who is generous, not who does generous. I know that doesn't make sense Englishly speaking, but I hope that you understand that, that God's putting on my heart. You know, as a church, we are still discovering certain values and certain cultures that we want to set. And God's putting on my heart that, that, that Live Church is generous. It is a value that we hold. If you're a part of Live Church, that means that we are expecting that over time you are going to understand generosity in, in a personal way, in a way that drives you to do things. I know I can see a few uh, 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 wet eyes, teary eyes from the video, and I know that, that we are moved by things that is going on. But more than being moved, I, I think it's something that is already resident inside of us that we want to do something about it. And so this morning, I, I do want to talk, talk about, about generosity and what it means for us as people in our everyday life. And, and, and this is a word that I think is very important and, and it's probably going to come across as somewhat harsh because I'm speaking to myself first and foremost. And so I need sometimes to be woken up from my very uh, comfortable first world country life. And so if I say some things that offend you, let know that God offended me first. And he offended me so that I can understand what the Word of God actually says. And so I don't mean to offend. I mean to teach. I mean to uncover the truth. And I hope that you understand how important this is. Uh, and, and, and I hope that over this series, you will also think back over what we have spoken. And, and God put on my heart that uh, just remembering, Jesus told a story that if you hear the Word of God, but you do nothing about it, it's like building a house on the sand, on the beach. The winds come and the waves come and your house is gone. And something that kind of told me this week is that you can actually have a semblance of a house. You can actually have a structure. You can actually do things while the weather is nice. But your house will not stand the test of time. The only way your house is going to stand the test of time is if you hear the Word of God, but you're also action out the Word of God. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty eight, 38, He said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God, 
and keep it. And keep it. I want to be a keeper. Anyone here wants to be a keeper? Okay, two people. <laughs> I think I'm in the wrong church this morning. Who wants to be a keeper of God's Word? Yeah? So let's pray. Let's pray that today the Word is not just going to uh, tickle our ears, but to actually stir something up inside of us. I hope to provoke you. I hope to annoy you so that you actually see that the Word of God is living and active and it brings change in our life. And quite often, we don't change until we are pushed a little bit. So I apologize if you're offended because I don't mean to offend, but I pray that you are stirred into action. God, I pray that the Word of God that you've given, uh, that your Word will come through my mouth and the things that are from me would just fall to the ground, but the things that are from you would land on good soil. I pray that it produces a harvest in due season that will reap uh, uh, tenfold, hundredfold, or whatever you intend. So God, I pray that every person here in this room will hear the heart behind this message and will do it. Amen. For those who have just joined us, as I mentioned, we're in a series called Supersize Me, and the key verse comes from Proverbs 11.24, and it says this, the world of the generous gets... And the world of the stingy gets awesome. You guys are slowly getting it. I'm not like Pastor Beck giving out chocolates every week. She tries to be the nice one. I don't care if you don't like me. Beck does. But uh, we got this key verse that talks about the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of stingy gets smaller and smaller. And the amazing thing is that I don't believe that this just uh, is true for Christians. I believe this is a principle that works in any person's life. And I was recently, while researching for the series, I listened to a TED talk um, that Bill and Melinda Gates were giving about the foundation that they had set up to eradicate um, children dying because of preventable causes. And, and it's, it's amazing that this man, you know, he worked hard with Microsoft. He saw a lot of success in that business world, but he would say that his happiest and most fulfilling days are still ahead of him as he gets into all this philanthropic work. That I, I, I saw, I, I, I tried to find out what the impact of this man is on our world. And, and some people say that Bill Gates alone can be credited with saving 5.8 million lives. 5.8 million lives. Can you imagine that? That's like the whole of WA. Bill Gates has saved all our lives. I don't believe that. I'm a Steve Jobs Apple man. But it wasn't because of Microsoft. It was because of what God had done for him. And, and let me just jump on a little bit of an aside note. God wants you to be successful. If you are a business person and God's put business in your heart, you're not going to be able to save 5.8 million people if your business employs two people and, 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 and maybe has a revenue of $2,000. You're not going to save 5.8 million people like that. You, you, you need to be successful in financial terms. And God allows people to, to have that. God actually gives people the ability to do that because He sees this person is going to do something with it. This person is actually going to save my children. This person is going to do something about it. And, and so if that's you, I hope it has stirred up in your heart that you don't just see this whole Christian thing as we want you to uh, give money to the church and, and do your religious duties. No, no, no. We want to set you up to do the life that God has given you to live. And if that's business, let that do the best business you can. 
in an ethical way, in a, a, a full of character and full of uh, 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 um, principles, but, but be effective as well. Don't think that God doesn't want you to be effective. God wants every person in this room to be effective. All right, back on. Um, and Bill Gates, uh, he, he said that he was really moved with this statistic. Bill Gates is an is a engineer by, by mine, and so he, he, he thinks in terms of statistics. And, and he found out that in 1960 alone, in one year, and that's only 55 years ago, 20 million children died under the age of five. It's basically the whole population of Australia dying in one year. Do you know that last year, one year alone, 33 people died from a shark attack? And, and any life that is lost is a tragedy. But why do we hear so many news pieces on the flipping sharks when there are children dying from preventable causes? And, I, and, and, and God started to put this on my heart that, that maybe the media is just showing off what is in our culture. And in our culture, we are so caught up with what affects us. I'm worried to go swimming now, and, and, and people like swimming, and obviously every Australian loves swimming, and so we'll talk about the sharks so that everyone is scared because that will get our ratings up. But no one's going to know about the children dying in the Philippines or, or in, or, or in these poverty-stricken uh, third-world nations, and, and no one knows that because our media doesn't cover it because we don't care. And we are caught up in our hashtag first world problems. What am I going to wear tomorrow? How many pairs of shoes do I have? I just saw this quick little clip this morning on Facebook. I know I shouldn't go on Facebook on Sunday morning, but I did. <laughs> when I saw this clip and it said that American households has got 300,000 items. Every standard American household has got 300,000 items and it causes depression. <laughs> because people are like, what do I wear? I'm depressed now. And I'm like, what is going on with our world where we have a child who doesn't have enough food, doesn't have the education that they need to break through from that poverty, doesn't have someone who tells them that they care, and we're more worried about what I'm going to wear tomorrow so much so that we're getting depressed about it, and we need to do something. And the good news is that there are people like Bill Gates that is doing something. Like I mentioned, he's credited with saving 5.8 million lives over the course of his work in the foundation. But more than that, beyond that, generosity is changing our world. The, the child mortality rate under the age of five has dropped from 20 million 55 years ago to just 6 million, 6 million in 2012. And, and Mr. Gates was saying that that number probably has dropped by now. There are people that are doing something. And then he said this. History is shaped by philanthropy. Philanthropy, I should have searched out a proper meaning, but this means people that give money away and, and do good work. Philanthropy shapes history. Philanthropy shapes history. Our society is pushed forward and progressed through philanthropy. Why? Because our social conscience needs to be pricked so that we're not so worried about whether I can go to the beach and more consumed about whether children are seen tomorrow. How crazy is that thought that we get so caught up in our little worlds, but philanthropy, where, where, where there are generous people that are giving and making something happen, we can and will change this world. And that's why I say that this is a word that, that, that sticks in my heart for this church as a value because our heart, in, when we set up Lyft, it was never to build a big church. 
I believe that we're going to get there one day because the, the, the vision, the, the things that we want to do requires manpower, requires resource, requires an army of people coming together in unity to make that happen. You see, we said that we want to see domestic violence drop off the radar in our town. We want to see homelessness be eradicated as a problem. We want to see uh, Jesus' name be made famous in this town, and we want to be a part of that. But that requires generous people. Generous people change the world. Quite often, Christians are not generous enough to change the world. So God has to use non-Christian people to do the work that we are supposed to be doing. We're given a whole bunch of stuff that God has given to us, and He says, come on, you're supposed to be putting other people's interests before yours. Why are you still so caught up about whether to wear that necklace or that other necklace? Why are you still so caught up in spending $100,000 on clothing over your lifetime? When there are children that are literally dying, when there are poor and needy people that need someone to stand up for them, generous people will change the world. And that's what we want to be. As a church, we want to be generous. So what does that look like? Another honest moment. I had planned this message last week because I knew I was going to be at conference. And then at conference, God gives me a new verse. And so I had to change the whole course of this message. God does that every now and then. It's annoying. <laughs> but this verse is perfect for what God wants to teach us this morning. And it says in Isaiah 32, verse 8, Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Generous people plan to do what is generous. And I searched up what the meaning of the word generosity is in, in its original term, and, and it's really interesting because it could also be translated as noble. And in some of your Bibles, if you read it, it might say, noble people plan to do what is noble. And the meaning of the word nobility means of high moral principle and ideals, to be of outstanding quality. So if you put that into the verse, a person of high moral principles and ideals of outstanding quality. I know that there are many people of outstanding quality in this room. I am amazed and astounded that people of such outstanding quality would follow Beck and myself. It is a great thing. But this is the, this is the, 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 the truth that people of high moral principles and ideals of outstanding quality plan to do what is of high moral principles and ideals? I don't know if you're quite getting it because you're looking at me a bit blank. You see, you can say that you're a Christian and you've got good moral principles, but if you do nothing about it, you're not generous. <laughs> you, you actually need to do something about it. It actually needs to be planned. And so if you... Pray for the poor, that's a good thing. But like what Jess was pulling up a little bit ago, it's not just with your words, but also with your deeds. And it says, plan. And it shows me that generous people so believe in their ideals and the principles that God had given to them that they actually are moved to do something about it. And it shows me that generosity is about knowing what is important and then doing something about it. Generosity is not about emotion. 
When you walk through the suit, uh, to the supermarket and there's someone from somewhere trying to get your money and you want them to buzz off and you give them $5, you are not being generous. You just can't be bothered with what they are. And I'm like that. I don't actually give to any of those booths. In fact, I had this really, I call it racist person. I went to Southlands, it was probably about a year ago, and I did check with lots of people, and some people agree with me, some people don't, but I still hold my point of view. But we were walking, and he's probably from like Oxfam or something, great. Great, but they did not train him. And he was an idiot. And so I was walking, uh, we, we were going to see a movie, and, and we had just gone into the shops to get um, cheap lollies because the cinemas were too expensive. Uh, we were more willing to walk that extra five minutes to get $2 Maltesers rather than pay $5. And so I had $3 in my pocket, and this guy comes up to me. No, I didn't actually have money. It's card world. Um, and I was just walking, and this guy said, hey, 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 you look like a smart guy. Can you help me with something? And so I looked around, and what he had was one of those rubber bracelets that were broken. It cannot be fixed, you idiot. And you picked an Asian guy with glasses <laughs> to ask him to fix your unfixable problem. And that was the way he was trying to get me to donate to Oxfam. And so I said, no, you racist, get out of my face. <laughs> and I will say stuff like that if you're an idiot to me. But that doesn't give you an idea about my generosity. It doesn't say anything about my generosity. Because I sponsor four kids. And I will sponsor them till they finish their education, until they start changing the world. My generosity lies with what I know is important and what I know works. I've done the research. I know that compassion works. And therefore, I'm going to plan to give to what I believe works and what I believe actually makes a difference in this world. I'm a person of high moral principles, not because I'm so great, but because God has touched my heart, and He's told me that I need to do something about the, the injustice in the world, and because of that, I need to be moved to action, and I need to plan. See, too many people are expecting generosity to be moved in, in an emotional way, but God's actually telling us that generosity is not convenient. Generosity is not convenient. I read this story about a church in America. And, and, and the pastor decided, it was coming close to Christmas time, and he decided that, hey, we should do something generous. We should give. We have received so much, we should give. And so they found this housing project just down the road. And the housing project, as, as many housing projects go, uh, was riddled with domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, um, and unemployment, there was people trapped in poverty in an American city. Next to people who are affluent with all that they need, there was a pocket of people that didn't have anything that they needed. And so the pastor decided, let's do something about it. They, they, they planned into it. And, and, and yeah, so they decided, let's buy Christmas presents for every child in that project. So they went out, they bought all the gifts. I don't exactly know how it worked out. They probably had to work out how many children was in that place and then uh, work out whether the boys or girls and the ages and then get all the gifts ready. And then they went, they, they, they got an army of volunteers. They headed down to the project and then they went door knocking. And, and some of the volunteers were scared because they had never come face to face with that kind of confronting 
lifestyle that was so opposing to what they were used to. And so they were scared, but they got there. They got the courage. It wasn't convenient for them, but they got there. And then they started to, uh, to door knock. And, and when the door opened, they would be singing their best carols. It was quite interesting because this was a predominantly white church going into a predominantly African-American place. I think we know who could sing the better carols, but they did it anyway. And so they sang, and, and they, give, they gave the gifts, and they were so touched to see the smiles on the children's faces, to see that someone communicated value and worth to them as children. And so the volunteers went back after a successful day out, and they were so moved by that that they said, let's, let's go back at Easter and give them lollies, and let's go back at uh, 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 Thanksgiving and give them turkeys so that we can, we can get this thing going. And so they did that, and they did it for a few years. A few years later, the people stopped volunteering as much. And the pastor started to get a bit worried. He said, what's going on? And so he called a meeting, and, and they sat down, and they started talking. And, and finally, one person plucked up the courage to say, Pastor, we've been going there for a few years now, but every time we're there, the dad's not home. And the situation in the home hasn't changed. And we're doing all of this. We're... We are, we are, we're being so generous, but it's not making a difference because those people don't want to change. And that really got the pastor thinking. And so he did some research. He went, he went and tried to find out what was going on. And unfortunately, the truth couldn't be more different from what the people in the church were thinking because the fathers of those families that they were going to quite often were there. But the moment they heard that these rich well-off people were coming to give his children presents that he couldn't afford, they ran out the back door. It contributed to their sense of brokenness and contributed to a lack of self-esteem. So much so that the rates of them applying for jobs dropped because they were not expecting to get it. Their sense of worth and their sense of self was a bigger problem than presents, turkeys, and lollies. But the church chose, unfortunately, not knowing all of these things that were happening, to choose the convenient route. See, when we say that as a church we want to eradicate domestic violence, that we want to get rid of drug and alcohol abuse in our town to help the homeless people, it's not about you giving something and then forgetting is actually a commitment, a plan to find out what really works and then to do it. And that's why I love what Compassion does because it can prove that these children that I'm giving my money to are getting an education. They're actually uh, seeking out a way to, to make a difference in their community and in their nation. There are teachers, doctors, politicians, uh, and all sorts of people that are going to change the face of the Philippines because of people like you and I. And it's not just unplanned things where we just give something without thinking. And it's, this is the truth. It's easier to give to a natural disaster uh, and, and, and to help the people that are made homeless from a natural disaster than it is to actually try to do something about the 1.7 million people that are, are homeless in India. It's easier to give all of our money to the people that were affected by floods, by typhoons, by uh, earthquakes, by, by volcanoes, which I did, like, I did say they're tragedies, but it's easier to give to them knowing that they already know and have the infrastructure to do something about it. 
But when we are dealing with people that don't just have a poverty of materials, but a poverty of self and a poverty of worth, a poverty of education, we are going to have to be inconvenienced in order to stand by our high moral principles and ideals. Generosity is not an emotional exercise. Or at the very least, it can't just be an emotional exercise. And the thing is that when you get it wrong, like the people of that church, they experience what is called an actual phenomenon called compassion fatigue. They didn't want to be as generous anymore because they didn't plan how their generosity was going to change the world. I want our church to be smart about this. I don't want to just find the first person that seems to have a good idea and say, all right, take all our money. We look for organizations like Pregnancy Problem House. We are partnering with places, uh, organizations like Red Frogs and, and, and Compassion Now and other organizations that we know have got a proven track record or at least have something that they're testing and doing. But for yourself, what are you being generous in? What are you planning to be generous in? And this is something that God was also putting on my heart. I don't want this message just to be about your money and what you're giving. I want it to be about your life. Are you generous? Are you planning to be generous with your actions, with your words, with your time? Now, husbands and wives, are you being generous to one another? What's that, what atmosphere are you setting in your home for your children or your future children? Are you actually setting up the right example? How are you using your time? You know, it's really sad as a pastor over the years knowing that more and more people are not prioritizing Sunday church services because this is a place that God moves. This is a place when we get together and we get direction and we get unity and we get the anointing of God. Every person that doesn't make church a priority always drifts, always drifts, always drifts. Their, their, their Christianity becomes just a, by, a byword and a, a thing of the past. It never becomes active in their life. I guarantee it. But not enough people are being generous with the future generations and say, I know that this is tough for you right now, but we need to be at church. We need to be at the house of God. I did a premarital counseling training um, because I'm now a celebrant, which is kind of fun. Um, really hope I don't stuff it up. But, <laughs> but through the training, we also covered some aspects of counseling, um, couples that are disengaged and, and not doing so well. And they did a reenactment of what one of those families looked like or one of those couples, and, and, and this, it was a really simple exercise. The exercise was to tell your spouse one wish that you would have about their family and how that would make you feel. Sounds simple enough. The couple didn't have the generosity enough to listen to what the person was really saying. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's bad, because it's actually just something that they had learned to cope with in their life. So, so when one person, when the husband said something along the lines of, when I get home from work, I would like to be appreciated first before being told all the stuff that has gone wrong because that would make me feel like you want me to be at home. The wife said with a smirk on her face, you don't care about what's going on at home. They weren't being generous enough to hear 
what was going on. And that's why generosity is not just about money. It's about the position that you have in your life that is not just about me and what I want and the, and the things that I'm feeling and, and all, all of that that I'm feeling, that injustice towards. We need generosity between couples. We need generosity between parents and children. And I don't mean generosity in giving your children everything that they want. I'm talking about raising your children well, teaching them how to save for their future. You know, all those things are not easy. I know many parents here. I know it's not easy. I'm not a parent myself, but I've seen what it can be like, and I know the reality is probably much harder than I could ever imagine. But if you're not generous, having those high moral principles and ideals, and if you're not planning to outwork those high moral principles and ideals, then you're not being generous. So I did say I might offend someone, and I do apologize for that. But the picture that I want to leave you with is that generosity is the way that God works out His kingdom. You're not going to experience His kingdom in your family if you don't practice generosity. It's as simple as it is. I can pray for your house. I can throw as much holy oil as you can find from the whole vineyards of, 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 of Israel, and your house is still going to be dysfunctional because there's no generosity. Our, our community... It's not going to change just by doing prayer walks and prayer services, even though that's important. It actually needs someone who says, I have a heart to change that. God's made... All right, let's go on another tangent. I'm sorry I'm preaching today. I'm not really feeling the, 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 the kickback from you guys. Not kickback, the, the, the encouragement. So I'll keep preaching until I'm happy. But, you know, so many people... Tell me, uh, we, sorry, we've been trained in our current world to think that the call of God is, is the passion that I feel. And I feel passionate about design. I feel passionate about architecture. And so God must be calling me towards that. That is part of the truth. The other part of the truth is that God has put in you a moral compass and a special, a, 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 a special desire to solve a problem that God has created you to solve. If your passion is not linked to solving a problem in the world, you're being selfish. Your world is going to get smaller and smaller, I guarantee it. That money will not satisfy you. Uh, that the validation you get from the work will not satisfy you. It will come and it will go. But if you put together that desire and the gifts and the passion together with a problem that God has created you to solve, your world's going to get larger and larger. That's just how it works. And so let's, let's be people that stand by our generosity. That we actually plan to be generous. Before the end of today, I've only got a couple more minutes left. But I want you to actually have a moment. Don't just rush off, but have a plan. What are you going to be generous in this week? What are you going to change? What are you going to change? It, it can be your finances. It might be sponsoring a child. Maybe two, maybe five, maybe ten. Jess is really happy that she's here this morning. It might be in the environment in your house. It might be to be more encouraging. I actually plan to be more encouraging. When I first became a pastor six years ago, it was highlighted to me that I was a cynical, tough leader. Highlighted, really, like, this is you, Nate. So I literally, you can ask Beck. I put in my diary Sunday afternoon. What happens after Sunday, normally I start to process all the things that went wrong during church life. 
I'm already processing all the stuff that's gone wrong from this morning. That's how my brain works. So I had to short circuit that, that kind of route and actually put in time to encourage someone from the day. I, I plan to be generous. I hope that I'm more generous in my encouraging now because I planned it. It wasn't going to happen if I didn't plan it. <laughs> Love you guys. You're all so beautiful. And... <laughs> but what are you planning? What is something that maybe even right now God's highlighting? Your words, your actions, your time, your finances. But the second part of Isaiah 32 says this. Generous people don't give up. Instead, they stand firm in their generosity. Now, the word stand firm is actually really interesting because it says to rise up violently against opposition. That's the connotation of the word. I actually got a picture. I don't know if they can find it, but I wanted to put one of those 300 pictures with Jared Butler where he was like screaming because... Too many dead people in the background, so, so I didn't. I, I don't know what I... There we go. It's a boxing one now. So it's like, is, is this idea that when you're generous, someone's going to get in your face. I guarantee you, especially if you work in a really blokey environment, I don't know why that's the case, but if you try to be nice, this week they'll be saying, what are you now, a do-gooder? You're soft, there will be opposition to you trying to be generous with your words, your actions. You know, people will be like, why are you spending all that money on that church? Why are you spending all that money on those kids that you're never going to see? Enjoy your life. There is going to be a need for you that if this is part of your principles and this is part of the uh, ideals that God's placed in your heart, that you're going to stand and you're going to say No. This is what I'm going to do. So if someone comes up to you and says, what are you now, a do-gooder? You're soft. You say, yes, I'm a do-gooder and I'm soft because God's created me that way. And push it back in their face. What makes you think you're so good that you can just live for yourself? Because I want to know that there's a church that is actually so convinced that God's called us to make a difference that when opposition comes our way, we rush it away and we say, no, I'm going to take a stand for my generosity. So this week, I guarantee you, I just asked you to plan something. You want to be encouraging? Your spouse that you're trying to be encouraging to will say, what is it now? You changed, really? A leopard can't change its spots. You will get that. Guarantee, some way, shape, or form. But if you keep standing for it, that's when change begins to take effect. That's when things start to churn up. Are you standing for what is right? Or are you just standing for what is easy? Generosity is not easy. Generosity is not convenient. But if you plan to do it and you stand for it, things are going to change. You know, the greatest example of generosity is always Jesus and God. God knew in his heart that you were so precious that he was going to stand for you. So he, he made a plan. Now, Jesus wasn't plan B. Some people think that the law that was written in the Old Testament was plan A. That wasn't the case. It was always Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Right from the beginning, even before man sinned, God knew that if he created Adam and Eve, he was going to need to die for their sin. That's the kind of planning that our God has done. That's the kind of planning that keeps me going 
in my everyday life because I know that things get tough, but I have a God who endured much tougher in order that I can stand here today and in, in, in this broken uh, uh, body, in this broken mind, in this broken soul, I can still communicate to you worth and value. And it's not because I'm any good. It's because God's using me and He's chosen me. See, generosity brings meaning. Generosity brings meaning to you. And this week, I pray that you are going to do what is generous. We can get the band up. So just mentioned a while ago, Jesus was so generous that even before we were born, He already paid the price for everything that we could ever do wrong. And even though there was opposition internally as well, you can read about this. Just before Jesus went to the cross, He had this prayer session with God and He says, God, if you will, take this cup away from me. But not my will, but yours be done. So there was a plan for your salvation and then there was a stand for your salvation. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.